1: your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at ChoiceHotels.com, where travels come true.
2: The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into Scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We have some South American history today. Yay! So, given how many of our listeners are from places that either are or used to be British, I think probably most folks know at least the very basics of, of the Revolutionary War, which went on from 1775 to 1783 uh, between the British Empire and its American colonies. So today, we are going to talk about another conflict that overlapped this war and was between another empire and its American colonies. This time, the war was between Spain and its colonies in South America. In particular, we're talking about the Tupac Amaru Rebellion, which took place from 1780 to 1783, so right at the end of the same time as the Revolutionary War. It started in the Andes Mountains in Peru. And in addition to stretching over multiple years, this rebellion actually wound up spanning more territory than the Revolutionary War did. So, as you might imagine, you could really spend a whole series of podcasts on this rebellion just like you could with the Revolutionary War. So, today is really an overview of the basics. Uh, and just because I don't want folks to spend this podcast distractedly wondering about it every time we say Tupac Amaru... Yes, uh, the late rapper Tupac Shakur was named after him. His mother actually renamed him after this revolutionary figure while he was still a baby. And our last caveat, (laughs) is a parent-teacher heads up, this story contains a couple of particularly horrifying executions. One of them caused me to IM Holly while I was doing the research to say, this sounds like it came out of Game of Thrones. So this might be a podcast to listen to yourself before sharing it with little ones. And then use your own discretion about whether it's appropriate for those little those little ones.
1: All right. So Spain's colonization of Central and South America, which started in the 16th century, had three primary aims. To expand the Spanish Empire, to seek treasure, and to convert the local population to Christianity. Today's story, as Tracy referenced just a moment ago, takes place in the Andes Mountains in Peru in the 18th century.
0: Yeah, so Spain had been around for a couple hundred years in Central and South America by this point. The population by now in this part of the Andes Mountains was overwhelmingly made up of indigenous South Americans known as Quechua. And their languages were all part of the Quechuan language family. The Quechuan language family goes back to the days of the Inca Empire. And a lot of the indigenous people who were living in the Andes Mountains uh, by the 18th century traced their lineage back to the Inca as well. In addition
1: to the region's indigenous population, there were also Spanish Europeans, uh, people who had both European and indigenous ancestry, who were referred to as mestizos, and people of European ancestry who had been born in South America, who were referred to as Creoles. And there were a few, although not very many, enslaved Africans along with their descendants. The population of enslaved Africans was much greater in some other parts of South America, but not so much in the Andes Mountains.
0: We can look at the system of local government that Spain had instituted in Peru in terms of three roles. There were, of course, lots of other roles besides these three, but these are sort of the key figures. On the Spanish side, there was the Corredor, who was an official representative of the Spanish government. On the indigenous side, there was the, uh, the Caraca, or the Cacique, who was essentially a native liaison between the native population and the Spanish government. Caraca was actually a Quechuan title dating back to the Inca, and cacique was the Spanish term that was applied to the same basic role. And then there was the local clergy, the parish priests who were responsible for particular towns and settlements. Together, the Caraca, the Corridor, and the priest saw to the government and the legal and spiritual needs of the community, at least from the Spanish point of view.
1: Although the presence of the Caraca may make it seem as though Spain was taking steps to include the indigenous population in the system of government, this wasn't really the case. Many of the indigenous population spoke only Quechuan languages, but official events and documents were presented only in Spanish. Apart from the Caraca, most of the people involved in the government were not only Spanish, but also had been born in Spain and not South America.
0: While it's certainly within the realm of possibility that an individual corridor could be acting with the indigenous population's best interests at heart, this was really a position that was quite prone to greed and mismanagement and abuse. The position itself was immensely powerful. It had grown from one that was mostly judicial to one that combined judicial, administrative, and legislative power all into one centralized role. This meant that one unscrupulous corridor had the power to have an enormous and nearly unchecked impact on the area that he was in charge of. As is
1: a recurring theme in just about all of our podcasts on colonialism, Spain had implemented some policies and practices that were deeply unpopular in its South American colonies. One, unsurprisingly, was taxes, both sales tax on goods that people tried to buy and another called a head tax. And that's basically like a tribute based on number of people. There were also involuntary labor drafts to staff mines and mills, some of which were extremely far away from the homes of the people that were drafted into working there. As another way to make money, Spain also forced the sale of European goods to the indigenous population. Basically, a lot of what Spain was expecting from its colonies in terms of both labor and money was either forced or
0: coerced. And in the late 18th century, a lot of this was getting a lot worse for indigenous South Americans. Spain had been in the process of implementing a lot of changes to how it, how it ran its empire. These became known as the Bourbon Reforms, after the royal house of the same name. These reforms had been going on for a while, but they really peaked during the reign of Charles III, who ruled Spain from 1759 to 1788. The Bourbon reforms had wide-reaching effects for Spain's
1: military and government, and for how religion affected the government and civic life. But when it came to South America's indigenous population, the reforms led to higher taxes, an increase in forced and coerced labor, and fewer rights.
0: Along with a range of other cultural and religious issues, all this dissatisfaction with taxes and forced sale of goods and forced labor Ultimately led to more than one rebellion in Central and South America. And the one we're talking about today was started by, and at least at first led by, a man named Jose Gabriel Condorcanqui. And we will talk about him after a brief sponsor break. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks.
3: What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first change. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show Podcast. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet.
5: Jose Gabriel
1: Condorcanqui was born around 1742, and he claimed that he could trace his lineage back to the last ruler of the Inca Empire, Tupac Amaru. The first Tupac Amaru ruled the empire from 1571 to 1572, before being executed by the Spanish at the age of 25 or 26. This was at the end of Spain's conquest of the Inca Empire, and with Tupac Amaru's death, the throne was essentially abolished.
0: Condor Conqui had a formal Catholic education. He spoke both Spanish and Quechua fluently, and as an adult, he worked as a merchant and a, a muleteer. His education, his Inca heritage, and his family's place in the community really uniquely positioned him to be able to interact with every class in Peruvian life, from the Spanish ruling class to the most impoverished working class.
1: In 1750, Condorcanqui inherited the role of Kuraka of three towns in the Tinta district, known as Surimana, Pampamarca, and Tungasuka, following the death of his father. He had actually grown up in Surimana, but as an adult, he made his home in Tungasuka. Ten years after his father's death, he married uh, Michaela Batista, who became an equal partner in his work as a merchant.
0: In 1777, Condroconque traveled to Lima for eight months with the hope of regaining a noble title. While he was there, he met a lot of Spanish nobility and he gained a sense of how the Spanish colonial government worked in Peru and more at a bigger, more general scale for the region as a whole. At this point, tensions had already been rising in South America for several years, and as a result, there had been rebellions and uprisings that had broken out within Spanish territory in several places.
1: The Corridor in the area where Condor Conque lived was Antonio de Ariaga, And, as you might guess from our discussion of the role of Coridor before the break, he was not a beloved figure. Among other things, he was responsible for arranging an enormously unpopular labor draft to staff a silver mine. Mining was, of course, dangerous work, and the mine itself was about 600 miles away.
0: Also, in the face of the ongoing changes that came along with the Bourbon reforms, Kondrkonki was having an increasingly difficult time in his role as Caraca. More and more of the Corridor's demands were unreasonable and exploitive of the local indigenous population, and a lot of them were really despised by the people that the Corridor was governing.
1: On November 4th of 1780, Ariaga and Condorcanqui had dinner at the home of Father Carlos Rodriguez, Condorcanqui's old tutor. It was overall a friendly meal, which celebrated the feast day of Saint Charles, known in Spanish as San Carlos, and later in the afternoon Condorcanqui invited Ariaga to spend the evening at his home. Ariaga refused, saying that he needed to get back to his own residence, probably motivated, at least in part, by the fact the tax payments were due to him soon.
0: When Ariaga left with his entourage of staff and servants, Kondurkanki and some other young men, uh, Kondurkanki was about 40 at this point, walked with him for a while. And then they said that they were going to head back to Kondurkanki's home in Tungasuka. And that wasn't really where they were going, though. Instead, they stealthily got ahead of Ariaga and they ambushed him. Ariaga tried to flee, but Kondrakanki's men captured him and some of his entourage. They took them all back to, t- to Tungasuka and they confined him in a cell in Kondrakanki's basement.
1: Then, Kondrakanki forced Ariaga to write letters to his treasurer in which he claimed he was going to plan an expedition to the coast to deal with a pirate problem. He asked the treasurer to send money and weapons. Then Kondrakhanki took Ariaga's key and went to his home, where he armed himself with muskets, gunpowder, and bullets, as well as taking money, mules, and silver.
0: From Ariaga's home, Kondorkonki also wrote letters to a lot of other local leaders, military figures, and entrepreneurs, asking them all to meet up in Tungasuka. He signed Ariaga's name to these letters, so he was basically writing them as though he were Ariaga. He also wrote to the other Caracas in the area, asking them to send troops to Tungasuka as well. And he started stationing sentries along the road to Cuzco to try to keep the Spanish government from hearing about this massive gathering that was starting to form in Tungasuka.
1: Over the next few days, all of these people that Condor Conky had written letters to started arriving in Tungasuka. Thousands of people arrived and had no idea that the corridor was imprisoned in a basement not far from where they were congregating. Spanish leaders who answered that call were also imprisoned.
0: On November 9th, Condorcanqui sent a priest to Ariaga's cell to take his confession, and at this point Ariaga knew that he was probably going to die. He started trying to bargain with his fortune. He basically offered Kondorkonki everything he had in exchange for his freedom, but Kondorkonky refused.
1: Meanwhile, Kondorkonky started telling people who had assembled in Tungasuka that he was acting under the authority of the king, the high court, and visitor general, Jose Antonio de Areque. He set them to practicing military maneuvers, and he increasingly did something that he had already been prone to doing, referring to himself by the name of the Inca Empire's last ruler and his ancestor, Tupac Amaru.
0: He also conducted reviews of these maneuvers on horseback, and he wore clothing that combined elements of traditional indigenous attire, as well as the fine silks and furs and gold that were a lot more common among the Spanish aristocracy. He's reported to have cut a very fine figure doing this.
1: On the 10th, Tupac Amaru, Kondor going by that name, once again had the assembled crowd, which numbered thousands of people, line up in a military formation. And then he had them march to a nearby set of gallows. There, he had a proclamation read in both Spanish and Quechuan. And according to this proclamation, the king had abolished the sales tax, the custom houses, and the forced labor draft of the silver mine. And this proclamation went on. The king's wish was for the indigenous South Americans and the Creoles to live in harmony with one another.
0: Because that's the name that he adopted as he led this rebellion, we're basically just going to call him Tupac Amaru for the rest of the episode. And of course, none of these things that he was proclaiming were actually true. He had written all of these proclamations himself, but they were, of course, extremely well received. Uh, and then another important point was that all of this information was delivered to the indigenous people of the area in the language that they actually spoke, rather than in Spanish.
1: Then the event moved on to something else purportedly authorized by the king, and that was the execution of Antonio de Ariaga.
0: Soldiers took Ariaga to the to the gallows, and they forced him to change out of his military uniform and into a Franciscan habit. Then Antonio Oblitas, who was an enslaved African that Ariaga owned was forced to act as his executioner.
1: In the first of this episode's horrifying executions, the rope broke, and both Ariaga and Oblitas fell. Instead of being hanged, Ariaga was strangled with several ropes. People screamed epithets at him, with some of the loudest being hurled by Michaela Batista.
0: While Tupac Amaru had taken steps to keep word of what was going on from reaching Cusco, where it would then get to the rest of the Spanish Empire, the news that he had executed the Corridor just could not be contained. And we will talk about what happened after that news spread, after another brief word from a sponsor. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. What's up,
3: everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first take. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm preaching to somebody
4: today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet.
5: Culture, and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Micotura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To get back to the story, after the execution
0: of Antonio de Ariaga, Tupac Amaru and his wife set off almost immediately to try to raise more support from nearby towns. They'd already used their duplicity and strategy to amass a really large following in Tungasuka. And the two of them then started using the extensive connections that they had developed to recruit more people to their cause. Tupac Amaru himself used his new name and the connections to the Inca Empire uh, that, you know, existed from his lineage to spread the idea that the Inca were returning. With this thought inspiring the rebels, they tried to take the fight to the Spanish
1: Initially, the targets of the rebellion were very narrow. He didn't want the priests, the mestizos, or the creoles to be harmed. Only Spanish leaders from Europe, and especially the corridors. Local landowners and others whose behavior had been exploitative were to be imprisoned, but not killed. Since Spain hadn't yet raised an army to resist them, these first few excursions were relatively bloodless.
0: In every town that they visited, Tupac Amaru would speak in both Spanish and Quechua, and he would recruit as many people as he could to join the rebellion. He still was insisting that he was actually acting under orders from the king. The rebels would also abolish any taxes and force labor drafts in the towns that they went to. They would burn down the textile mills where people had been forced to work, and they would free anyone who was being held in the jail. Then they would also burn down the gallows they'd uh, get as many provisions as they could from the stores of the local corridor and other landowners in the area. And then they would move on to the next town.
1: He also wrote lots of letters and proclamations, issuing orders to neighboring towns to turn away from the Spanish and granting local leaders, the authority to act in his stead on November 16th, Tupac Amaru wrote a proclamation calling for the emancipation of enslaved Africans and Afro Peruvians.
0: On the 17th, in the aftermath of a battle that had played out in a church and had accidentally destroyed part of the structure of the church in in a fire, the bishop excommunicated Tupac Amaru and his followers. Tupac Amaru and his wife were both extremely devout Catholics, and they really had not intended any harm to come to this church at all. As we said earlier, they had been trying to protect the clergy the whole time. So this was both devastating to them personally, and it was a strike against them in terms of public opinion. Uh, just as a side note, in the end, there were priests and others associated with the church on both sides of this conflict.
1: Soon, though, this rebellion spread beyond the Andes Mountains, and the bigger it got, and the farther away from Tupac Amaru's base at his home in Tungasuka, the bloodier and more violent it became. Spanish and royalist forces started calling in reinforcements and gathering militia, meaning that the rebels had to fight their way through rather than basically walking into towns and declaring that the Spanish government was no longer in
0: charge. By the end of the year, Spain's control on colonial Peru had started to really crumble. As the rebellion got bigger and bigger, more and more people got swept up in it, and the original instructions to harm only the Spanish ruling class started to fall away. A lot of people really just got caught in the crossfire. More and more innocent people were harmed by both sides as the conflict got bigger and bloodier.
1: At the start of 1781, Spain, having raised an army of thousands of soldiers, started actively trying to find and capture Tupac Amaru. On April 7th, they trapped Michaela and two of her sons. Michaela and Tupac Amaru had gotten separated from one another about a month before this, and they had always planned that, should
0: something happen, they would flee through the South. When he heard that his wife had been captured, Tupac Amaru did just that. And along the way, one of his followers, a man named Ventura Landieta, insisted that he stop and take a rest. It turned out that this was a trap. Tupac Amaru was taken into Spanish custody along with his wife and children.
1: Along with other prisoners, Tupac Amaru and Michaela Bastidas were put on trial that April. And when Tupac Amaru refused to incriminate himself or name any of his accomplices, he was tortured by stretching. His wife, on the other hand, claimed that she knew very little about the rebellion and had in fact been coerced into participating.
0: After days of being questioned and sometimes tortured, on May 18, 1781, Tupac Amaru and Micaela Bastidas were taken to the gallows for the other horrifying execution in this episode. First, they were made to watch the executions of other prisoners, some of them were family members. One of them was actually their eldest son. These other prisoners were dragged behind horses and had their tongues cut out before they were hanged. One was placed in a chair and slowly strangled with an iron bar before being hanged to confirm that she was dead.
1: Sources actually disagree on exactly how Michaela Bastidas was executed. However, universally, she is described as being tortured to death, while her husband, Tupac Amaru, was made to watch.
0: And then in the thing that caused me to I am Holly and tell her this sounded like it was out of Game of Thrones, Tupac Amaru's tongue was cut out. His limbs were tied to four horses in order to be quartered. They didn't actually quarter him, though. His limbs were dislocated, but not severed from his body. Then he was beheaded. This time, his youngest son, who was 10 years old, was made to watch.
1: After the executions, Tupac Amaru and Michaela's bodies were dismembered and the parts were sent to surrounding
0: cities to serve as a warning, while their torsos were burned on a bonfire. Their executions didn't stop the rebellion, though. Other leaders moved into Tupac Amaru's place, some of them also taking a similar name, including his successor, Diego Tupac Amaru, who would also be executed on July 19th, 1873.
1: Eventually, after numerous gory executions, the rebellion failed. About 100,000 people were killed, most of them indigenous South Americans. Spain put increasing restrictions on South America's indigenous people in the hope of preventing another uprising, including forbidding the Tupac Amaru Rebellion from being discussed or written about at all.
0: Tupac Amaru is still a really well-known figure in South America today, although Michaela Bastidas has largely been written out of a lot of accounts, in spite of the fact that she was a leader of this rebellion also. Tupac Amaru's name and image have also been used as part of other revolutionary movements. Uh, and if you're interested in hearing more about the story, um, there is a pretty recent book, which is actually how I heard about this in the first place, was uh, Was reviewing a catalog of recently published books. Um, it is by Charles F. Walker, and it is called The Tupac Amaru Rebellion. And it is uh, from the Belknap Press of Harvard University Press. It actually came out in 2014, but I think there's a paperback of it that is coming out soon. And it goes into a lot more detail uh, than what we have talked about today. It especially gets into a lot of the more specifics about the individual um, actions between or. Uh, the individual actions between the rebels and, and the Spanish and, and specifics on where all of this fighting took place and how it all played out. And then also some more about uh, how it later affected uh, the colonial government in South America. And now after all of that rebellion and execution, do you have some listener mail for us? I do. It is from Waldo. And Waldo says, Holly and Tracy, I love this show. I most often listen to you on my way to work, driving through a place that you both love. I'm having, I'm searching for a suitable fan trinket for you two, but I don't want to tip my hand too far. And I'm a recent convert from having listened to stuff you should know for a few years. I still listen to them, but you're my new favorite. While listening to the Robert Smalls episode, I noticed that Abraham Lincoln was called out for being a Republican. And this tied to some minor annoyances that I have with some of my beloved Republican friends. I occasionally come across posts talking about how great the Republican Party is, parentheses, Republicans ended slavery, but Democrats wanted to keep it. I have to stifle myself from having a well-actually moment by pointing out that the relative positions of Democrat and Republican parties had swapped. Uh, in positions of conservative versus liberal over time. Would you consider doing an episode on the history of political parties in the United States? I would love to experience your treatment because you have a knack for explaining the context and impact in a relatable manner. Thank you for your work. Take care, Waldo. Thank you, Waldo, for this note. Uh, we got several notes that were along these lines. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to say is, that, like, I don't I can't speak for Holly. I personally find the story of how the the Democratic and Republican parties, so-called switch places, annoying, and I don't want to research it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was not what I expected you to say.
0: No, I just, it makes me mad. Like, so number one, yes, both parties have drastically different platforms than they did during the Civil War. Like, they are not the same platforms at all. And a lot of people like to put the, the credit or blame, however you want to look at it, on like a specific event in history. And a lot of people say that, that it's after, uh, the, the passage of the, um, of the Civil Rights Act and that it was all related to the 60s. But there are actually lots and lots and lots of things that played out over more than a hundred years. And I, I just personally find it an irritating story. <laughs> and, uh, And our episodes are the best when whoever is doing the research is enjoying what they're doing. (laughs) Um, So I like I don't I I especially probably not this election cycle. We're probably not going to have an episode on that. Um, But I do want to make it really, really clear. Both parties have drastically different platforms that they than they had 150 years ago. So in addition to the whole story of how they gradually changed their platforms, like that story annoys me, uh, the Facebook memes and whatnot that, that try to use this historical fact as a reason to vote for or against one party or another also get on my nerves because, uh, like that's not the reason to make your voting choice, right? Like. Yeah you should vote for the candidate that you support right now not for the candidate the candidate whose party was doing something completely different 150 years ago uh so yeah obviously that whole subject arcs me
1: My my point of view on it is i actually find the switch kind of interesting but i feel like um it's a landmine it doesn't matter how like fair and clear and accurate, you try to do it, someone will get super duper mad. And because we are in a very politically charged climate, like it's not worth it. Um, yeah. And I'm with you. I get, again, I don't mean to be judgy, but I get frustrated with the political memes because I feel like some of them are witty and and well put together. But the bottom line is that in a lot of cases, particularly on social media, you kind of see political discourse distilled down to nothing but that. And I'm like, that is not thinking about the issues and what is really important to you as a person. Like, I don't care which side you're on. Let's just have a discussion about it, at least, instead of just pictures in five words. Like, that can never really encapsulate all of the important things you should consider when you cast your vote.
0: If somebody comes to you and tries to tell you that, uh, like, for example, you should not vote for a, a Democrat because the Democrats fought for slavery... That's ridiculous. <laughs> like, you should look at what the candidates are doing now. Today! Both, yes, both of the primary parties in the United States have dramatically, dramatically different platforms than they had uh, 150 years ago. Uh, so yes, I think probably we will not be doing that episode, especially in a presidential election year. But there's a ton of information about it on the Internet if you want to go research that for yourself. Um Just don't try to use a party's history from 150 years ago to decide who you're voting for now. That doesn't make sense. Uh, And if you live in the United States, wherever, if you live in a place where you have the right to vote, vote. It's important. Uh, if you would like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we're history podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash history and on Twitter at MissedInHistory. Our Tumblr is MissedInHistory.tumblr.com. We're also on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash history. If you would like to come to our parent company's website, which is HowStuffWorks.com, you will find all kinds of information about all kinds of awesome subjects. And then you can also come to our website, which is mistinhistory.com. You will find show notes. Uh, We will actually have in the show notes for today's episode the book that I talked about earlier. If you did not write it down, Uh, we have an archive of every episode we've ever done. Lots of other cool stuff. So you can do all that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or MissedInHistory.com. For
5: more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.